Welcome to Parker Memorial's podcast of the 8.30 a.m. service. Our service includes modern-style worship and an on-time message from God's Word. This week, we continue our in-depth study into the book of Revelation by Dr. Mac Amos. Now, here's this week's message. You have your Bibles. You go ahead and be turning to chapter 9 of the Revelation. Chapter 9, we'll be looking at the second part of that. It is the actual, the sixth trumpet. Remember where we are at this point in time. We had the seven seals that were broken, and each one of those seals represents the judgment of God and God restoring and making his world where Jesus is going to come and reign. At the seventh seal, introduced the seven trumpets. And now we have gone through five of those trumpets. Four of those were about the earth being judged. And last week we saw the torment from the demonic forces are going to be set loose in order to torment the people of the world. And now we come to the sixth of those trumpets. There will be seven trumpets. At the seventh trumpet, then we'll usher in seven bowls of wrath. And then in the middle of all that is some explanations, some other things in more details. We'll be talking about that. But we're at the sixth trumpet here in chapter 9. Verse 13. Listen to what it says. And the sixth angel sounded, talking about the trumpet, and I heard a voice from the four horns of the golden altar, which is before God. One saying to the sixth angel who had the trumpet, release the four angels who are bound. You need to circle that word. Who are bound at the great river, circle this word, Euphrates. And the four angels who had been prepared for the hour and day and month and year were released so that they might, listen to what it says, kill a third of mankind. A third of mankind. Verse 17. And this is how I saw in the vision the horses and those who sat on them. The rider had breastplates the color of fire and hastened. And the horses are like a brimstone, and the heads of the horses are like the heads of lions, and out of their mouths proceed fire and smoke and brimstone. A third of mankind was killed by these three plagues, by the fire and the smoke and the brimstone, which proceeded out of their mouths. For the power of the horses is in their mouths and in their tails, for their tails are like, the ser- are like serpents and have heads, and th- with them they do harm. Verse 20, and the rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues did not repent of the works of their hands so as not to worship demons and the idols of gold or of silver, of brass and of stone and of wood, which can neither see nor hear nor walk. And they did not repent of their murders, nor of their sorceries, nor of their immorality, nor of their thefts. Now leave your Bibles open. As we look at the sounding of this sixth trumpet. It says first of all that a voice came forth from the golden altar. A voice came forth. Now what's that talking about? We're probably talking about back in chapter 8 verse 3. You remember when there was the angel, the priestly angel who went before the golden altar and he offered the fire and the incense and lifted it up and he came back out to the, to the brazen altar and threw the, fire, threw the fire on the ground or on the earth that signified the judgment of God? Well, it's probably this angel who's calling forth and he speaks forth from that golden altar and he says, it's time. And he speaks forth to that sixth angel that says, it's time to blow your trumpet. It's time to blow your horn. And so the The instruction and the command is given that the sixth trumpet shall be blown. 
When it's blown, look what happens there in, in verse 14. And one saying to the sixth angel who had the trumpet, release the four angels who are bound at the great river Euphrates. Now, let's talk about that a minute. First of all, it says that the place that these angels are bound is the great river Euphrates. Let's talk about the Euphrates River for a minute in regard to biblical history and the history of the earth. The account that's given in Genesis chapter 1 and 2 is the account of the creation of the world. And when the world was created, we believe that there was a place that was created where man, Adam and Eve, dwelt. And it was called what? The Garden of Eden. It was called the Garden of Eden. The Garden of Eden was the most beautiful place you could ever imagine. It was supplied everything that they would ever need. And they were perfect men living in a perfect world. They could do nothing wrong except one thing. And that was to partake of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And they were prohibited from doing that. He said, do not do that. If you do that, on the day you do that, you will surely die. But here's this beautiful world called the Garden of Eden where they are living. And did you know that God gives exact Uh, direction as far as where this garden is. We don't have to wonder where the Garden of Eden is. It tells us exactly where the Garden of Eden is located. Do you know that? You can write it down. Genesis chapter 2. In Genesis chapter 2, verse number 14, it's going to describe the different rivers that are running through the Garden of Eden. And one of those rivers that's running through the Garden of Eden is the river Euphrates. Now, if you get your map or you get an atlas, today's atlas, you're going to find out that there is a river Euphrates. It's the same river, all right, the exact same river. That is where the Garden of Eden was located, the river Euphrates. But that's not all. There's something else unique about the river Euphrates, and that's this. That whenever God made the promise to Abraham, remember he told Abraham to leave your, leave your people and leave your land and to go over and I'm going to send you to a place you've never been before, but I'm going to give you that land. That's going to be the promised land. It's going to be your home. Well, did you know that God distinctly describes what the boundaries of that land was going to be? It's found in Genesis chapter 15. In Genesis chapter 15, write that down, verse 18 He tells Abraham where this promised land, where this blessed land is going to be. And he says it's going to be from the eastern side. The eastern boundary is going to be the great river Euphrates. And the western boundary is going to be the great river of Egypt, which is what? The Nile. And so all of that land from the Euphrates to the Nile is the promised land of God. It is the promised land that the children of Israel are supposed to claim. Are they claiming it right now? Nope, they're not claiming it, but they will one day. Right now, the nation that has this, the nation of Iraq. But that is set up as the boundary that God established for his place, for his people. Now, here at the river Euphrates, it's something about to happen that's going to be unbelievable. They're going to, he's going to release four angels that have been held captive. We'll talk about that in just a minute. But the key point of that is happening here at the river Euphrates. Why is that important? Well, first of all, as I told you, this is the eastern boundary of the promised land. As far as God's concerned, all that land is Israel's land. Did you know it? It doesn't matter whose name's on it. As far as God's concerned, he gave it to Israel and it's Israel's land. So that in the mind of God is the boundary of Israel. 
So there on the boundary, the eastern boundary of Israel is the place that separates where Israel is and where those who would be the enemies of Israel and the people of God are just to the east, east of the Euphrates River. That's important to get in your mind. But that's not only the fact that it's a boundary. It's also because it was the place of the Garden of Eden. It was a place of a number of things that are first. Write some of these things down. You realize that sin was first known at the river Euphrates? Did you know that? Where did sin happen? The Garden of Eden. And where was that? Where the river Euphrates is. So the first sin that ever came into the world... The sin, that, the sin that opened up for all the world to have sin happened at the river Euphrates. Not only that, the first misery was ever, that ever came into the world was at the river Euphrates. When did misery come in? When sin came in, amen? Sin causes misery. If you are miserable, it's because of sin. It's either because of your sin or somebody else's sin, Amen? Because misery is a result of sin. Sin that you've committed or sin that's been committed against you. Misery's there. And so the first time sin entered into the world, misery entered in. So the first time sin was, the first time misery was. It's also where the first lie was ever told. The first lie was ever told. It's also the, first, the place where the first murder was ever committed. Who killed who? Cain killed Abel. Where did that happen? It happened right there by the river Euphrates. Not only that, it was, it's also the, the fact that it's the first murder. It also, it's the first place they had to dig a grave. They had to dig a grave because what? The first person died. First grave ever dug by the river Euphrates. All of those things are first and all those things are bad. And all those things are a result of what? A result of sin. But historically, that's not all. Let me share with you a few other things. The greatest uh, times of apostasy happened right there at the river Euphrates. The first apostasy was whenever the world became so bad, God said he was going to destroy the earth by flood. And that was in Noah's time. And that's where the dwellings of the people were around the Euphrates, Babel, around those places, which is Babylon of this day. It's also the place of the second great apostasy. The second great apostasy that's described in the book of Revelation. So the two greatest apostasies, one before the flood and one after, happened right here at the river Euphrates. Also, the most oppressive enemies that Israel ever had were there at the river Euphrates. Who were they? The Assyrian army, the Babylonians under Nebuchadnezzar, the Medo-Persians, all of them... Their capital was Babylon. Their place where they dwelt was Babylon. And where's Babylon? Babylon is right along the river Euphrates. Get that in your mind, all right? Get it in your heart and in your mind. Not only that, though, it's also the place where Israel was exiled. Do you remember when Israel was taken away by Nebuchadnezzar? And they, they had to be carried over for 70 years. They stayed. And you know where they lived? They lived in the city of Babylon. And Babylon was located on the Euphrates. You understand from biblical history, you understand from the events of creation till now, the importance of what is happening at the river Euphrates. I think sometimes we think the world revolves around us as Americans. You know, surely America must be in the center. I'm here to tell you, in God's economy and in God's compass, the center of the world is God's promised land. Everything else is just 
peripheral. Everything else is just secondary. The most important thing and what happens in God's timing at the beginning and the end happens around that place. And part of that is the river Euphrates. So the Euphrates River historically plays that part. And here it says that whenever that angel cries out and says it's time to blow that trumpet, he says this, blow the trumpet and release the four angels who are bound at the great river Euphrates. There are four angels that are bound. Now, who are these four angels? Well, first of all, they are not God's angels. They are the fallen angels. How would you know that? Because God's angels and the things of God are not bound. The angels of God are not bound. There is freedom in God. Amen. Everything God has is freedom. He has liberty. He has freedom. His angels are free to serve. His angels are holy and righteous unto him. They are never bound. But these angels are bound. So they obviously are four angels that fell whenever Lucifer fell. We saw about that last week. When Lucifer fell and became Satan, one-third of the stars, one-third of those angels fell. And four of those angels were placed there at the river Euphrates. And they were bound at the river Euphrates. And from that time, they have been sitting there waiting for the right time when God would say that you can be loosed. They've been bound in. Now, just imagine this. Now, I know it's hard for you to grasp this because we think in regard to physical things. What is real to us is what we see, what we touch, what we smell, what we taste. There is something else that is more real than what we see and touch and taste, and that is the spiritual world. The spiritual world is more real than the physical world, for the spiritual world made the physical world. And when the physical world is gone, the spiritual world still is. Amen? Y'all get that or y'all kind of a little bit slow this morning? All right, think about that. The spiritual world is there. And in that spiritual world, since the very time whenever Satan fell, cast down to the earth, God took those four angels, those four demons, and bound them at the river Euphrates. And he says, you're going to stay there, and you're not going to be able to do anything, and you're not going to be able to influence anybody. You're going to stay right there for this time until your time. And now that time has come. That time has come. And the angel says, when you blow that horn, when you blow that sixth trumpet, then those four demons, those four angels that are bound in the river Euphrates, they will be set free. They're going to be set free. And what are they going to do? What is their purpose? Here is their purpose. Their purpose is to kill one-third, one-third of the population of the world. You need to get that in your mind. Through their work and through what they're going to do, one-third of the world's population will be destroyed. Now, if you'll remember whenever we went back in the fourth seal, you remember when the fourth seal was broken? Remember what happened when the fourth seal, it was the the seal of death? What happened? One-fourth of the population of the world was destroyed at that time. And now here at the sixth seal, one-third of the remaining population is killed at that time. Do you realize, if you put those two things together, that one-half of the earth's population will be destroyed? One-half of the earth's population will be no more after the sixth seal and after what happens. So it says here, these four angels have this purpose that they're going there in verse number 15, that they're going to kill a third of mankind. Now, how, how does this take place? Well, if you'll look over in chapter 16, chapter 16, 
verse number 13, 12 through 16, it gives you greater details of the events that are happening that are described here in this sixth trumpet. And what's it called? It's called the Battle of Armageddon. It's not really just a battle of Armageddon. It's the war of Armageddon. It's not just a battle. It is an ongoing battle. It is an ongoing battle that's going to happen over a period of time. It's not just one day. But it's going to give you the details of what's going to take place. It's going to tell you right there in in regard to that, that old Satan is going to come and he's going to deceive the kings of the nation. These ungodly pagan kings, he's going to deceive them. He's going to do miraculous things around them. They're going to think that he ought to, they ought to follow him, the Antichrist. And they're going to rally behind him. And they're going to come and they're going to do war. Literally, they're going to do war against God. It's what they're doing. They're going to do war against God. They're going to battle one another. In regard to that, there's one-third of the population of the world will be killed. One-third. Daniel also speaks of this, if you want to read that. In Daniel chapter 11, verses 40 through 45, is the prophecy about the battle of Armageddon and what's going to happen. Jesus also speaks of it. It's found in Matthew 24, verses 21 and 22. You know what he said in 24, 21? He said, there's coming such a horrible event on the earth that if it were not that God, that God cut that time short, all the earth would be destroyed. That's what Jesus said. It's going to be such a horrible thing that if that Jesus did not come soon, all the earth would be destroyed. How is it that the earth, all the earth's not destroyed? How only a third? Because the second coming of Jesus is coming right at the end of that, right at the time of that. So the greater details about what's happening here at the river Euphrates is found in chapter 16 and in Daniel chapter 11. You can read that and we're going to talk about it a little bit later when we get to chapter 16. But basically the surmise is their purpose is to deceive the world. They're going to dry up miraculously. They're going to dry up the Euphrates River so that a massive army will be able to cross over the Euphrates River on dry land to come and do battle and to come and do war. How is this destruction going to happen? Well, it says here in chapter 9, verse 16, here's what it says. And the number of the armies of the horsemen was 200 million. Listen now what it says. I heard the number. Why is that important? Well, John, there's no way that John could count 200 million, could he? Could you count 200 million? No, nobody could count that. How did John know it was 200 million? Because he heard the number. The angel told him the number. That there were 200 million horsemen. People on horseback, a cavalry that is coming, and they're going to cross the Euphrates River in order to do battle. Now, that's, that's unheard of. Did you know the largest army that was ever put into battle was Xerxes' army when he went to fight and to battle Greece? You know how many he had? Xerxes had two and a half million soldiers. Two and a half million soldiers. That's the largest army that's ever been in the world. But right here, it's going to be 200 million. Did you know one person said that that would take a cavalry would be one mile wide. A one mile wide cavalry would be 87 miles long. One mile wide, 87 miles long for 200 million in cavalry to come across. And they're coming across to do what? To do battle. 
to do war and to kill one-third of mankind. Well, I want you to notice one thing about God. He has precise timing. So people, you say, well, we don't know when things are going to happen. We don't know, but God does know exactly when it's going to happen. Look what it says in verse 15. Don't miss that. And four angels had been prepared for the hour and day and month and year. And they were released to kill a third of mankind. We might not know when the time is, but God already in his mind has it set. He knows what year it is. He knows what month it is. He knows what day it is. He knows the very hour whenever those demons will be released and sets into motion what's called the battle of Armageddon. That's what's going to happen. That's what's going to take place. Now, the question is about this army. Who are they? Well, let's look at how it describes them there in verse 17. And this is how I saw in the vision of the horses and those who sat on them. The riders had breastplates the color of fire. And brimstone, the heads of the horses were like the heads of lions. And out of their mouths proceeded fire and smoke and brimstone. And a third of mankind was killed with these three plagues. The fire, the smoke, the brimstone, which proceeded out of their mouth. And the power of the horses is in their mouths and in their tails. For their tails are like the serpents and have heads. And with them they do harm. Now, who are these? Well, different theologians have different ideas. Some theologians feel like that it's just more demons that are coming. The demons that are in the fifth trumpet are more demons who are going to come and do battle. I don't really hold to that. I believe more of what it describes and what it describes the book of Daniel is that it's going to be an army of men. And it's going to actually be an army from the east. Most people interpret it's probably going to be an army from China and China's Arab uh, partners who would come together. And they could form an army of 200 million. Did you know when Red China boasted in 1965 that they had the power to put an army of 200 million fighting soldiers in battle at that time? That was in 1965. And populations exploded there. So the fact of trying to find 200 million and to put them in battle, that will be no problem for China or for the Arab nations of that place. I personally believe it's going to be men and not necessarily demons. Or it could be the fact of a combination of both. It could be the fact that in cooperation, the old demonic powers and demonic spirits are working in cahoots with the men and the armies of those nations in order to fulfill the purpose, and their purpose is to destroy God, destroy the people of God, destroy the witness of God, destroy the the planet of God, destroy anything they can that has God anywhere on it to do battle against them. It could be a cooperation between the two. Another thing that, that some people would hold to is this. When it describes those horses, it's certainly not an ordinary horse, is it? Head of a lion, its tail like a serpent and has a head on it. That's kind of interesting, isn't it? And some people have said, maybe it's the fact that John was trying to describe modern day warfare, instruments of modern day warfare. Now think about John. In John's day, when people did battle, they went with horses and chariots and soldiers. That's basically it. But if you imagine he was seeing in the future, and what do we have? We have all kinds of armament. We have things that fly. We have uh, armored vehicles. We have, and could you imagine when John has never seen any of that, and he's looking at that, he's trying to describe it. He wouldn't have said, it looked like a car. John wouldn't know what a car. It looked like a big truck. John wouldn't know what a big truck was. So what did John say? It was a horse. 
It's big, it's strong, it's powerful. It, it had breastplates over it. It had a, a, a tail that could, do, that could bring forth power. It was, he's trying to describe something, and it very well could be the armament or the things of warfare that we have today that would be used. And we know that we have potential when all the, all the uh, warfare uh, instruments we have to destroy the world in a few hours. So destroying a third of the world would be no problem. I don't know exactly what it is, but I'll assure you this much. It's going to happen. Whether it be men, whether it be modern day warfare, whether it be demons, whatever it's going to be, it's going to take place. It's going to happen. And it's going to happen at the precise time that God says it is going to happen. It's going to take place. Now, here's the key for that. Don't be here. Don't be here. Amen. (laughs) I'm not, I'm not going to be here. I'm not planning on being here. Now you might choose to be here. You say, well, Brother Mac, how do you know we're not going to be here? Because Paul wrote to the Thessalonians and he says, there's going to be a time when the trumpet of the Lord shall sound and those who are dead in Christ are going to go first and then those of us who are going to meet him in the air. And what did he end up saying? He said, and comfort one another with these words. How are you going to be comforted if, if he tells you that you're going to walk through the midst of it? How are you going to be comforted? He said, well, I hope you make it through the tribulation time. We're going to be comforted because of the fact we're going to meet him in the air. And the other truth is this, that throughout history, throughout biblical history, every time God brings forth judgment, he always saves his people. He saved Noah from the flood. He saved Lot. (laughs) He saved Lot from the Sodom and Gomorrah. He saved every time you find somebody that there's going to be judgment that, that takes place. Rahab, the harlot saved for Jericho fell there's never a time that God does not save his remnant and in consistency with that we as the children of God we as the church we as the bride of Christ we're going to be gathered together with him before all this takes place and today's your opportunity to become a part of the bride amen today's your opportunity to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior and to settle that issue when I read this I read this with great sorrow because I'm hateful, hate the fact that it has to happen and that judgment has to come and what sin does. I hate that, but I don't read it with fear because I'm not going to be here. I'm going to be in glory, just like you have a chance to be in glory. Well, I want you to see one final thing. I want you to see the response of people. I was discussing with somebody this week and they have a little different philosophy as far as what, what they think it's going to happen. And that doesn't bother me at all. If you don't agree with me, you can be wrong if you want to. <laughs> you know, up to, up to you, you know. No, no I'm, I'm kidding. But you know, a different philosophy of what's going to happen or, or what's going to take place. Especially regarding the fact that people will get to be saved. Uh, I, I don't believe that once you've heard the gospel and you rejected the gospel, whenever the tribulation times that you'll have an opportunity to be saved, I think you'll be deluded in your mind. I think people who've never heard will have an opportunity, but they didn't agree with that necessarily, and that was okay. But here's the point. The point was, well, people just wait to the tribulation, and whenever tribulation happens and all these horrible things begin to take place, then everybody will respond. Everybody will want to get saved. Wouldn't you? I mean, when all this tribulation happens, don't you think everybody will want to get saved? Well, that's not what happens. Listen to the response of the people in verse 20. This is the most important part of this. Verses 20 and 21. And the rest of mankind, that's two-thirds of them, 
Two-thirds of mankind, not talking about those who are saved, but two-thirds of the remaining mankind who are not. The rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues, underline this, did not repent. They did not repent. Now, don't you think, wouldn't you imagine that whenever that judgment comes and all this happens, they would fall on their faces before Almighty God and say, God, we're sorry. God, show us mercy. God, save us. God, don't you think that's what would happen? That's not what happened. They did not repent. What happens? It says, they did not repent from the work of the hands so as not to worship demons. You know what? They, they were idol worshipers. They worshiped things they made with their own hands. The idols made of silver and brass and stone and wood. And that can neither hear nor walk. And whenever you worship idols, do you know what you truly worship? You're worshiping demons. It's what Paul told you in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. 1 Corinthians chapter 10 said that whenever a person worship idols, they worship demons. They're worshiping demons because to worship that idol is to be opposite what God says. And therefore, they're falling into a trap of worshiping the demons who establish the idol to keep somebody from doing what God says, which is worship him. And he said, these who've been worshiping idols, these who worship the thing of their own hand, they do not confess. They do not make it right. They rather just keep on doing what they were doing. They do not repent. Not only that, look at verse 21. And they did not repent of their murders. These are the four activities they had. They committed murder. It says that they had sorceries of their immorality and of their thefts. It gives you four things that they did, along with the fact of worshiping idols instead of worshiping God, four things that they did. They committed murder. There is no value in the human life. There is no value. So they just kill somebody. Sorcery, the Greek word of sorcery is the word pharmakia. It's not just the worship of false gods. It's also the practice of, of witchcraft, but it's the idea of drug abuse. We get our word pharmacy from that word pharmakia. And sorcery and drug abuse go hand in hand. And so drug abuse continues and continues to expand. So there are more murders, more drug abuse, more immoral acts, sexual promiscuity, breaking of God's law and theft, stealing, not even valuing somebody's possessions and what they have. All four of those break the law of God. That first one, the worship, breaks two laws of God. Each one of these break one of the other four laws of God. They're all breaking the law of God, and they do not repent. They do not repent. So, if you think that whenever you would be here in that time of tribulation, and you happen to survive because you're not one-third of mankind that's killed that time, that you're going to get on your knees, and you're going to turn to God, and you're going to repent, right here it says, and the rest of mankind kept doing the same old, same old. Kept sinning. W.A. Crystal, who's a great preacher of God's Word, he was pastor of First Baptist Dallas for years, he's He's dead and gone to glory now. But he wrote in his commentary about this something. I just wrote down. I wanted to read it to you. He said, one of the strangest things about human nature is that man is not changed because of punishment. A man's heart is not changed because of punishment. Well, I've seen that experientially. Have you ever seen somebody go through a difficult, hard time? You think, man, through that hardship, through that punishment, through that, they're going to turn to God. Their life's going to be changed. They're going to, they're going to be transformed. He says, listen, 
One of the strangest things about human nature is that man is not changed because of punishment. A man is really only changed by the gospel of grace of the Son of God. The only thing that changes somebody is not punishment and exterior things. The only thing that changes a person is the gospel and the grace of Jesus changing our heart. That's what has to happen. So these people are not going to repent because punishment's coming. They're only going to repent and would only repent because they respond to the gospel of Christ. Friend, that's true with us. Circumstances of life are not going to lead you to Jesus. What's going to lead you to salvation, what's going to change your life, is the fact that you give your heart and your life to Jesus. That you accept his plan of salvation. You believe when he died on that cross, he died for you. He took your place, took your sin away. Adopted you into his family, changed and transformed you, filled you with his Holy Spirit, gives you a home in heaven, and that he is your shepherd over you in life and in death, and you don't have to worry anymore, amen? It's because you give your heart to Jesus. And if there's one thing to preach through all these things, say, well, why are we we preaching through all this when when we're not going to be here? Because there are people who have the danger of being here. And if we care about their soul, we ought to tell the whole truth and preach the whole counsel of God. Amen? Every horrible detail, preach it. Not that we glory in that, but that we are warned by that. Not to face the time of tribulation. Not to be here when the sixth trumpet is blown. Not to face it time when a third of mankind is destroyed. But to accept the salvation opportunity today. You might say, Brother Mac, I really, I really believe I need to do that. I, I, I plan to do that one day, but I'm just not going to do that today. Could I remind you? God knows exactly what the hour, what the minute, what the day, what the month, what the year. He knows exactly when that time is happening. We don't know that. So please do not presume on God that you have another day another hour, another minute. Don't presume on God. He's the one who knows that. So if you hear God speaking to your heart, if there's something wooing you in your spirit that says, man, I need to get this right. I'm not satisfied with where I am. I don't have 100% confidence. If I died today, I'd go to heaven. You need to get that right. And this is your day of opportunity. Respond to the gospel message. Amen? That concludes this week's message from Brother Mac. Additional sermons and reference materials are available from our website at parkermemorial.com slash sermon series. Jesus said, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble. I have overcome the world. We can help you know the one who can bring you peace. Find us on Facebook and Twitter at Parker Memorial Baptist Church, as well as our website at parkermemorial.com. May God bless you until we meet again.